by the time this friend was like, you know, I don't think you're okay. Like, and I'm like, you, you know what? You're right. I'm not okay. Like, I'm tired. I'm done trying to hide how I feel. Like, I'm done, you know, like crying in secret. Like, I've been through these things. Like, of course I feel this way and it's okay for me to feel this way. And, and I've, found like in opening up and dealing with those things, like even if it makes other people uncomfortable, that is what has gotten me to healing is being honest and being open and vulnerable. Hey y'all, hey y'all, what's going on? Welcome back to the Stack and Days podcast. I am your host, Ray Donovan, and here we highlight underrepresented journeys of sobriety. And I'm pretty excited uh, about our guest today, she actually reached out to us to share her story. So again, anytime you know someone is willing to step into their vulnerability uh, and reach and reach out and share their story in the hopes that they might be able to help someone else who needs to hear it, I um, I'm all for that. So uh, we have Amy Hall with us today, uh, and I think we'll we'll have a really great conversation. I've been following her for a little bit. Uh, I've heard snippets of her story. Uh, and, uh, I'm really excited to kind of get into it. I think she has a lot that she'll be able to share. And, and, and I know that she, uh, she comes from a place of transparency. So, uh, we'll, uh, we'll try to keep that as organic as we possibly can. So without further ado, Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm really um, excited to, to be on the show and I'm grateful that you had me today. I'm excited cool. to get into well, it. Yeah, I appreciate that. Amy was telling me before the show that she has literally binge listened to every episode of the Stack and Days podcast. And I don't know if there's anyone besides maybe, you know, myself and a few other folks who have listened to every minute of the show. So, uh, you know, she probably knows the show maybe just as well as I do. So with that, let's start how we start the show always. Uh, Amy, take us back to uh, when your relationship with alcohol started. Um, you know, what was kind of the why behind why you found why you found it, and ultimately, what role did it play in your life? And we'll just go. From- um, I think I really started like my relationship with alcohol when I was about eighteen, but I think um, a few years leading up to that is kind of where my. Um, curiosity with drugs and alcohol started, I would say. Uh, When I was 10 years old, I was um, sexually assaulted and nothing was ever really done about it. And I also didn't really know how to to talk about it. So I kept that in. And I feel like from then, like things got a little bit like topsy-turvy for me. Um, Once I got into high school, I did okay for a while. A lot of the friends that I hung out with were into um, drugs and alcohol, but I just didn't, I hadn't really gotten all the way interested in that yet. So, but I always seemed to like connect with people who've gone through that journey. So I felt like that's really interesting knowing where I am now. Um, When I was about 16, that's when I started to um, get into like pills Um, I didn't actually know what I was taking. It was just like a friend of mine had these and was like, Hey, these would be, uh, good to try. So I did that for a little while. Um, and then I didn't really, I didn't really want to anymore. So I stopped doing that. But when I was 18, the first time I drank, uh, I got blackout drunk and Mm. I feel like I had like the best time of my life, (laughs) even though I don't really remember most of it. It was at a friend's house and, um, I didn't drink a lot after that, but I did a 
go out with friends. And when I was 19, I got pregnant. So all of that stopped for a little while. And that's kind of where things started to get um, more rocky for me. I was living with my grandma at the time, and we had a very tumultuous relationship. Um, She was abusive towards me in many ways, but she was also like the only person in my family who showed up for me. So that was kind of confusing for me. Um, After I had my son, I ended up with postpartum depression, like real bad. And when I tried to reach out to my grandma about it, um, she didn't really understand depression. And she told me that um, depression was for weak-minded people. And so I had a lot of trouble like reaching out for help after that because I was kind of confused as like, am I, am I a weak-minded person? Like, is this something that I really can just push through? And I think that was when my um, attraction to alcohol really, really started. It gave me what I felt was like freedom from the life that I had. I could really disconnect and it felt like a way to like release all of the anxiety and the feelings that I, that I had been feeling. Um, I was working in restaurants at the time and that's just really the culture. And it was like, alcohol takes care of everything. When you're sad, you drink, when you're celebrating, you drink, (laughs) when you're angry, you drink. Like that was what it was for me. Um, I wasn't drinking every day at the time, but it was like most weekends and like some nights after work. that I would really start to um, get into to drinking quite a bit. Um, and a lot of the people I hung with drank a lot too. So that didn't seem abnormal to me. And we were in our early 20s. So that was like, you're 21 now. So that's just what we do when we turn 21. Sure. Um, shortly after that, uh, my best friend got into a car accident and he ended up um, losing his life. And that really affected me quite a bit. Um, I went into a real deep depression. And I think that's when I started to cope with alcohol and started to explore into other drugs at that time as well. Um, I had gotten introduced to Xanax and I really loved it at the time because it was like a chill pill. Like literally it was like, okay, I can take this and I can actually feel calm, which is something that I don't think I had ever felt ever in my life. If I really think about it, um, I struggle with a lot of mental health issues. Um, I'm bipolar and I deal with anxiety. Um, but I had no idea at this time that that was my diagnosis. Cause I hadn't, I hadn't gotten there yet. So I was doing the the Xanax and I was drinking and I ended up like going to my doctor to get prescribed it because I really liked it and I felt like it would help me um, in my treatment, not understanding that you really shouldn't be drinking if you're on Xanax. And it's a lot of uh, a lot of moments that I do not remember. Um, I feel like I had a lot of things under control, but again, like. A lot of things I don't remember. I do remember around this time that it got to a point where I was drinking like a bottle of wine every night for a while. Um, I would watch Grey's Anatomy and just just drink and be sad. And then I would go out and I would drink with my friends and try to come back and be be like a parent. So I feel like I was living like 
like two separate two separate lives is what it felt like. I had my my party girl side and my put together parent person side that I was trying to keep together. Um, I think I did pretty well, mostly because like my grandma did let me stay with her for quite some time, and I think that in and of itself um, saved me from going too deep. Hmm. That's uh, that's a lot. Uh, you know, I've just kind of almost have this visual timeline of your early life. And first of all, I'm, you know, I'm so sorry that you had to, you know, endure what you did at such a young age of 10 years old. Um, and I'm sure that there's just so much for you to unpack there. So obviously, if it's uncomfortable for you, we don't have to go into it. But from 16 years old, you start, you know, dabbling 19 years old. It, it gets ratcheted up once again. You're, you know, you have your, your son, 21 years old, you lose a friend. It seems like every several couple of years, you're dealing with these very, you know, large milestone moments in life that come with a lot of big emotions and ambiguity that you're trying to get over. And so all to say, the fact that we're having this conversation right now, just hearing a little bit more about what you've been through. I just want to you know, take my hat off to you um, for, you know, for the strength that you've shown um, to yourself, um, first and foremost. So I wanted Thank to you. put that out there. Absolutely. Um, so, so much to talk about, I feel like, right? You know, you are, um, you've been sober for how long now? You've been in recovery um, for how long? Two and a half years now. It'll be two years and seven months on February 1st. Okay. February 1st, two, two and a half years ago. How did you ultimately get to that point where you were able to step into sobriety? It seems like you didn't have a lot of support around you to, for number one, the recognition of your state at the time, uh, because, you know, the party side of you seems as though that it was validated by your peer group. And then it seemed as though that it wasn't bleeding so much into your ability to take care of, of your child. So how did you get to a point where you said to yourself, okay, the wheels are, are are starting to fall off here. I need to start doing some things differently before things get out of hand and I can't reel, reel it back in. Um, it took me a while after that point to kind of get there. But um, so after I lost my friend, I went into like a few years of like really getting acquainted with drugs and alcohol. And I didn't understand addiction the way I do now. So I felt like I was doing okay because I was able to show up and able to do the things that I felt like I was supposed to be doing, even though it did get really difficult after some time. But I think I started to just lie to myself and lie to other people. So as far as like really um, it not bleeding in, I don't feel like that's the truth, but I I wanted it to be. I wanted to feel like I'm doing great over here so I can do these things. That was kind of my MO. Like if I do all these things perfectly, it doesn't, shouldn't matter what I do in my free time. Um, so this was, I think, want to say like from 2013 to like 2015 is when I was drinking quite a bit and dabbling in lots of different other drugs. Like I, I kind of wanted to try anything to see how it made me feel. Cause I just wanted to be disconnected mm. from my life and from the disappointments that were, you know, popping up here and there from behaviors from when I was drinking and on other drugs. 
Um, in 2015, my grandma got sick um, and we found out she had cancer. And a few months after um, she went into the hospital, she ended up dying. And that was really, really hard for me. And this is when I um, believe that my drug and alcohol use got the worst. Um, I feel like she was really my anchor to a lot of things, even though, you know, we had like a tumultuous relationship. I tried to like steer into a like path of good for her. And when she died, I was like, I don't have anybody else. So like, it was like, it doesn't matter what I do. So that was kind of, I went a little buck wild at, at that point. Um, I isolated myself pretty bad. And, you know, if anybody asked me how I was doing, it was like, oh, I'm fine. And I just would go to work and try to show up for um, my fiance at the time and my kids. And I just didn't acknowledge any of the pain that I had stacked on top of the other pain that I was stuffing down previously. And things are just really bad. Mm -hmm. um, I ended up having a mental breakdown in 2016 after partying and drinking for a while and not dealing with uh, my pain. And this is when I ended up getting my diagnosis of bipolar. And that's when things started to make sense. And I really leaned into like getting therapy and all of that. During that um, breakdown, I ended up going to the mental hospital and I stayed there for a week. And when I got out, it was like, I felt really good. And at the time, I didn't really connect that to because I had been sober for seven days. You know, I hadn't had any access to anything that I usually run to to cope with uncomfortable feelings. So I get out um, and I'm doing really well for a few months. And I was like, well, I'm feeling great. So I don't need therapy anymore. I got this. I can just mm. keep going. And I was still drinking at the time because it was like not connected that my drinking was part of the problem. I just assumed that if I addressed my mental health issues, I could drink normally, I guess. Um, and a, a couple months later, I ended up um, back in the mental hospital for um, attempting to end my life. Um, I remember at that time, things were just really, really dark. And I just felt like I was in this cycle of pain. And I couldn't figure out why you know, I was always hurting all the time. Like I would do really good for a while and it would kind of like crash and burn. And I, I just didn't know what, what was going on with that. Um, this time when I went to the hospital, like I just had like a realization, like I can't live like this anymore. Mm -hmm. And I still hadn't connected it to the drinking, but like I knew that I needed to do something different because I realized like I didn't really want to die. I just wanted to not live the way that I was living. And I was like, maybe, maybe I should listen to what these people are trying to tell me because I don't know everything. So I decided that I was going to do whatever they told me to and do whatever it took to like feel better um, in life. And this time when I got out, I feel like I did pretty well, but I was still drinking and still um, doing crazy things when I drank too much. Um, but I feel like I was moderating better at this point. Um, okay. I had had, I think, a point a little bit before that where I had drank too much. Um, it was like an angry drinking session is what me and my friend had called it. And I don't remember getting either of us home. And that scared me mm -hmm. quite a bit. You were driving. 
yeah, I was the driver. And luckily, nobody got hurt. But like when I realized like I had no recollection of even getting us home, like that scared me because anything, anything could have happened. And um, so I was like, well, maybe I should drink less and just not drink as much. 2018, I ended up getting a opportunity to move out of Florida, which was uh, my home state. And so I took it because I was like, things are just not working out for me here. So I'm going to move away. And I get to uh, Virginia, which is where I am now. And things were okay for like a little bit. And I started working again and I got right back into those old habits of like drinking and hanging out. And this is when I started to see more consequences of my actions a little bit more in front of my face. Um, I had gotten into some situations with people at work. So like it was like everybody at work knew my business and that was kind of rough for me. But at the time, I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to do what I need to do. I didn't come here to make friends. I came here to make money. So um, I continued to do that. And at some point, um, I felt like the same things were happening to me, but I was in a different environment. So I couldn't blame it on the things that I was before. Like this wasn't the environment that I was hurt in. And the people who were holding me back previously weren't there. And I wasn't being abused by different people anymore. So I was like, what is going on? So I went back to therapy and I did therapy for a couple of years. And then 2020 comes around and it was just chaos. I feel like, um, I was still doing really well at work and I was showing up, but I was drinking a whole lot more and not really paying attention to much. I was just trying to disconnect from the uncomfortable feeling from, from COVID. This was around the time I believe like the George Floyd thing had happened and it was like a whole lot of things happening and I just did not know how to cope with that. So you're you're not unique in that either. Like that, that period of time, I think particularly for people of color when, you know, we were already medicating to deal with our like acute pains, but then the, 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 the external pains of the society that we live in became so glaring and so loud that we were also being oppressed by that pain as well. Um, you're not the first person to to mention that. I know that I certainly felt it myself. So um, that was that that was certainly a very tough time. I feel like. Yeah, it was it was rough too because I lost a lot of friends behind like um, racist comments and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and it was like, it was time for me to start like speaking up for myself. So that was kind of rough for me too. And I was starting to tap into a lot of like deep things in therapy as well, as far as like my dad not being around. And, um, when I was 16, I went to live with my grandma because my mom ended up working overseas and that was the last time I lived with her. So it was like from 16 on, it was just like, I got to kind of figure it out. And my grandma did the best that she could with an angry teenager who, you know, didn't know how to process their feelings. So I know that that was hard on everybody. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm I'm assuming that your grandmother just didn't have the skill set to deal or to just to nurture you the way that you need to be needed to be nurtured, considering where you had come from. Yeah, I later um, found out that my grandparents were alcoholics and that kind of made some things make sense and kind of validated some things. And then 
I feel like she may have seen herself in me. And I think that's why she helped me so much. So I really do like, I'm so grateful to her for that. Because like I said, I feel like I could have gone into a lot deeper um, of a hole. But uh, so I think it was like May of May or June of 2020, I went out with some friends and I wasn't really in a good mental state. Um, The guy that I was with at the time, we had been arguing. And so this was kind of like, I guess my angry drinking switch came on. And that's usually when I can drink a whole lot without feeling the effects like myself, even though like your body processes the alcohol and you're obviously drunk. But that just wasn't my mental uh, view of it. But I had went out and I was drinking and I don't I don't even know how much I drank because I think, I don't think I was really paying attention, but I do remember at some point, um, like, I just feel like I was talking, I blinked my eyes and then I came back and then a friend of mine was just like, why would you say that? That was really mean. And I was like, what happened? I was like, there's no way anything could have happened between like the time that I remember. Cause it was just like, it felt like a blink of the eye and it scared me. So I kind of tried to remove from myself from the situation. And um, my friends were drinking at the time too. So they didn't understand what was happening. We just weren't understanding each other. And I ended up driving home and I definitely should not have been driving. But I remember that night, like it was just, I went into like a really big spiral and felt really crazy. And I was really angry and I couldn't figure out what was what was going on. But after that night, I was just like, I need to reevaluate some things. Like maybe drinking might be the reason that I'm, you know, going through these cycles. And it also made me like come to a realization that like, what if, you know, the nights I felt like I was really put together, I only felt like that because I didn't remember those periods in between Mm -hmm. of like, you know, the blackout periods. Cause that, I mean, I drank like that quite a bit. So I was just like, man, what, what was other people's experience of me drinking? Like, cause I really didn't have any idea. That's a scary proposition, right? Like to, 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 to recognize that there are just segments of what could have been your experience in life that aren't there. Right. And, and perhaps that is, you know, on the back of the decisions that you're making or you're not making. I mean, ultimately that was, that's what got me to the same realization on my last straw. I was like, there was literally probably like 15 hours that, that my wife had to recount back to me because, and even to this day, like I, I honestly still feel a degree of shame about it because even to this day, like, I just don't remember that chunk of time. Um, so I, I, I empathize with you when you when you when you say that how that that's a scary you know a scary thing to think about. Um, how are you showing up? And 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 it seems like you know you, you know in these moments the propensity for us to do things that is uncharacteristic and potentially even life threatening for ourselves and those who are around us you know is elevated and that is also scary as hell. Yeah, because I think, too, like really looking back now, I feel like there have been times where I felt really ashamed of what I had done before. And then I would drink to forget about that. Be like, well, there's nothing I can do to change it. So we're just going to 
leave it where it is and keep moving. And I feel like that's kind of been a theme throughout most of my most of my life. Um, during my childhood, when I tried to speak up about my abuse with my grandma, it was just met with like it wasn't that bad or. Um, you know, I'm, I'm too emotional. And so a lot of things just had to get swept under the rug. So that was a norm for me. So it didn't seem abnormal at the time. But like, at that moment, when I was like, looking back, and I was thinking like, man, drinking might be an issue, but I just wasn't, I wasn't quite ready to stop drinking yet. Um, it was maybe a few months later, I started to getting to like, um, tarot cards and things like that and like really getting into my spiritual journey and I gravitated that way because I felt like I was coming to a standstill in my therapy um mm-hmm. I was starting to notice that like I was using drugs and alcohol to run and I couldn't even remember what I was running from anymore and I was like if I want to heal from these things I have to stop running um I had, by the time I had gotten to Virginia, and I think mostly because I had disconnected myself from access to everything, that's when I stopped doing the Xanax and um, all of the other stuff because I just didn't have access to it. And um, I just felt like I can drink and I'll just be, I'll just be okay because now I'm not doing drugs anymore. So I, I should be fine. And I didn't, honestly, at the time, like view alcohol as an addictive drug, which almost doesn't make sense. But like, I just thought that, you know, if you take it too far, that's why people have to stop drinking. And if you just didn't take it too far, like you could just drink and be fine. Right. Um, Even though everything that you're experiencing is, is basically speaking to the contrary, right? You're right. Exactly. And, um, and I always hung around people who drunk either as much as me or more than me. So it was just like, okay, well, I'm not like this. So I, I, you know, I should be fine. And um, after I started getting in the to the tarot cards, um, somebody I was watching just mentioned, like, if you, you know, if you're doing the same things to celebrate as you are commiserate, like, maybe you need to rethink that, like, and then the word addiction came up. And it just made me like, I was like, hmm, is this me? Mm-hmm. And so I, I tried to stop drinking um, for a while. But I just really couldn't, I just really couldn't do it. Like I would get maybe like a week or two and then something would happen and I'm back drinking again. And, um, things kind of like really fell apart in, I guess it would be like April of 2021. Um, the relationship I was in kind of crashed and burned and, um, I knew I needed to get out of that. And, Thankfully, like a friend of mine, let me let me stay with her. But leaving that situation, um, I think was the start of my um, sobriety. I decided that I wasn't going to drink about it and I was going to focus on taking care of myself because I just got to a point where I realized I hadn't been taking care of myself. I was exhausted. I was just going and going all of the time. And I'd been using really maladaptive coping mechanisms at that point. Like I would just mm-hmm. work all the time or I would drink it, drink it away or I would um, eat quite a bit. And I just felt like I needed to figure out what was going on with me. So in May of 2021, I left that situation and me and my son have, um, you know, we were essentially homeless at the time. And this was the start of my sobriety journey. I moved to um, 
Marilyn in July. Um, July 1st is actually my sobriety day. I had um, like a glass of wine with a friend the night before and I just decided to not drink. When I got to Maryland, things were a little rocky. I was staying with my son's grandmother, which was his um, father's mom. And this was the first time we had really like spent this much time together in person. And it was really triggering for me because it was almost like living with my grandma all over again. And a lot of things came up like I, she would make comments about my body. So now I'm insecure about my body again. And um, she, it was like, I could never do anything right. And I just think we just clashed is what it was, but it really bothered me. Um, But I still didn't drink and I don't really know what exactly it was that told me not to drink, but I was just like, I need to just be clear headed while I'm figuring this out. And I had gotten to about 30 days and I realized like I haven't had a drink for an entire month. Like that's something I hadn't, I hadn't done. So um, something told me to say it out loud and I kind of put it on my social media and I got like Mm -hmm. a lot of like congratulations about it. And I just didn't think it was that big of a deal at the time, but I was like, let's see how far I can go with this. Like if I haven't drank in this long, then like maybe there's a possibility that I can learn to live without it. I can learn to cope without it. Um, and then I was introduced to kickboxing and it's kind of been on from there. The kickboxing, Um, was really good to get out a lot of the anger that I had and dealing with the new triggers that I was dealing with staying with my son's um, grandmother was hard for me, but I just um, took it out on the bag. And um, I started (laughs) teaching, which was brand new for me because I was, I hated public speaking. I never thought that I would be speaking in front of people, but again, I was just listening to that little voice that was like, this is what you need to do. And even though I was really uncomfortable and it was really rough learning in the beginning, I'm really glad that I um, ended up doing it. And I moved back to Virginia after about 90 days of sobriety. Um, And I think living in Maryland was great because I was, again, disconnected from everything. So I had a lot of time to sit with myself and feel my feelings. and get past like the urge to to reach for something to deal with my feelings. And I did start to feel a bit more present, but I wasn't quite I wasn't quite there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved back to Virginia um, into a situation that I kind of knew wasn't going to work out for me, but I wanted it to. Um, because this was a person that I was hanging out with a lot when I was drinking, and I destroyed a lot of my life behind this person. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm glad that I came back and that lasted for a couple of months. And that was the first time like dealing with heartbreak feelings. That was the first time I wanted to drink and like real bad. I was like, man, I wish I could drink right now. And so I removed myself from the situation and I sat with it because I knew if I stayed and I tried to act like I wasn't feeling how I was feeling, mm-hmm. that was going to make me drink. And I needed to figure out, like, what what was this trigger? Because I hadn't felt anything that strong before. And I connected, like, really a lot of my drinking was emotional. Like, it was really, like, an emotional crutch for me. I really was using it to self-medicate. Um, 
because like dealing with bipolar and you don't know you're bipolar, like Mm -hmm. makes things worse when you're drinking because that then adds extra fuel to the fire. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the episode. If you are, we'd really love it if you could leave us a rating and a review on Apple podcast or rating on Spotify. And of course, please feel free to invite somebody into the conversation. If you feel like you have a story to share on the podcast, why not apply to be a guest? You can do so by completing the form on the podcast description or find it on stackingdays.com. That's S-T-A-C-K-N-D-A-Y-S.com. But for now, let's jump back into the conversation. Sorry, let me let me ask you, and, and, then, and then we can keep going. I feel like the, the mental health issues um, or just the reality of it is something that has has existed throughout your story right so now you're sitting here you're 90 days sober and you're looking at these you know this reality of your bipolarism directly in the face like how did you then start to tackle these like deeply this deeply rooted sense of being unstable in your own mental health like what tools did you turn to um other than beating the hell out of a kickboxing bag to like get yourself to a place where you had felt as though you had a little bit more of a handle on on your reality. Um, I had done a lot of therapy, and I'm really grateful that I had done um, therapy. I believe that the therapy work that I did actually led up to me um, getting sober. I um, once I had my mental health diagnosis, I really started to do more research, and I really started to try to build like a toolbox of coping skills because I knew if I was going to not be drinking and that was my only coping skill, I had to put something else in the toolbox. So, um, I just asked my therapist journaling, um, journaling and really it was mostly being honest with myself. I had to sit with myself and ask myself, why do I feel like this? Where did this start? Um, because that situation that we were just speaking about, the one uh, with my friend, that made me realize like I was choosing this and I was sober at the time. So I'm like, okay, so why am I still in chaos? Like I just didn't understand like, why am I choosing this? And I knew it was deeper than me drinking at that point. So I really had to to take a look at my past and start to see the things and start to see the parts of myself that I was running from. So it was a lot of like journaling and really just sitting with my feelings and, and talking about it and being honest to people around me when I wasn't feeling okay. Cause that was something I struggled with for a long time was being honest about not feeling okay. I was always the, I'm good. I got this. And then I isolate until I feel better. And ultimately I believe that's what led me um, to that deep, dark place where I didn't want to live anymore. And after that was when I was like, okay, I have to just stop caring about what people think about my sensitivity and my emotionalness because otherwise like I can't live. And I didn't, I didn't want to go that way. Yeah. Have you found that the, the folks that you've surrounded yourself with today are more inclined to be sensitive to you being vocal about where you are because you know up until now if i'm just like hearing you correctly it doesn't sound like there was a real audience for your emotions and for your feelings so is that has that acceptance been part of your success or it's like kind of 
irrespective of where they were at or who they are. It's just more so a matter of you. And we talked about this a little bit before the show, like advocating for yourself. And that's where you found the strength relative to, you know, them being supportive of where you're coming from. Actually, I think it was a little bit of both. Um, when I had left the situation that I was in, I actually met up with a another friend who actually like she she could see me past you know me being like I'm good I'm all right and she's like are you really though because <laughs> it's okay if you're not okay and like I had to sit there and I was like you know what I'm not okay like you're right like absolutely right like I'm not okay and that really started me being more vocal about it and her being so loving and caring and giving me like um a, a place to stay and like a, a foundation to start with. That was where it started. I started to really open up and allow people in, which is something that I realized I wasn't doing because I was trying to shut myself off to pain and I didn't want to be hurt. So I wouldn't get close enough to people for them to even be able to be that kind of friend to me. Yeah. And now I'm realizing I just have to be more open and working at the kickboxing gym I was at at the time too gave me the space um, to be open about how I was feeling. And then I started meeting more people who had gone through different things that I had been through. And this is when I started to realize, okay, this is why you share and this is why you're honest because then you can find people who you know, have been through something similar and you don't have to feel like you're alone and you're the only one who's gone through this and like wonder if like, am I crazy or is this real life kind of thing? Yep. Did you push back on that sense initially though? Cause I, I feel where you're at, where you're just, you, you make the intellectual recognition that in order for you to kind of really step into who you want to be, you're going to have to be vulnerable. You're going to have to expose yourself to this pain. You're going to have to expose yourself to the discomfort. But then there's the 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 kind of default self that is so used to putting up these protectionary walls, and it takes so much just to pull them down, even for just that one individual who's shown you that there is a path forward. Did you fight against that, or did you just get to a place and say, you know what, I'm just going to surrender and see where it takes me? Um. Previously to that, I, I did kind of fight back on that. And that was when I had first started therapy and I first had my diagnosis. And I was like, okay, I'm good now. I don't need to talk about this anymore. And Yeah, it's not a problem anymore. <laughs> right. Like that's how I felt. So and that at that particular time, I was still like drinking and stuff like that. So I was like, all right, I'm good. I can just take what I got and, and roll from there. And I think, um, you know, that kind of ended me in some corners after that. But this particular time, I just... I just surrendered because I, I I was just ready to do something different. Like I was so heartbroken and so like, it just so many things had happened in that relationship. Like I, this was somebody I really like loved and I thought they loved me too. But like in reality, I think it was just, we were connected in the fact that we drank a bit and we were both trying to disconnect from our lives at the time. Mm -hmm. And so when I shifted into a different space, obviously that relationship couldn't continue. And I've noticed that the universe will usually make things very like dramatic for me when it's something I, I have to let go of. Mm -hmm. So I knew I had to let go of this person, but it was just so hard and I was crying all the time and I was upset. So by the time this friend was like, you know, I don't think you're okay. Like, and I'm like, you, you know what? You're right. I'm not okay. Like I'm tired. I'm done trying to hide how I feel. Like I'm done, you know, like, 
crying in secret, like I've been through these things, like, of course I feel this way and it's okay for me to feel this way. And, and I've found like in opening up and dealing with those things, like even if it makes other people uncomfortable, that is what has gotten me to healing is being honest and being open and vulnerable. Yeah. Um, the uh, the recognition that you have made for yourself that the universe finds a way to make things extremely dramatic for you when it's trying to tell you something, I'm hoping that's saved you some pain <laughs> since you've made that that recognition. Because otherwise, you're just kind of getting you know you're getting tossed and around and, and beat up um, having if you're not if you haven't made that rec- you know, that recognition. So that's a pretty like that's a pretty um, critical degree of like self awareness. I feel like. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't blame it on the alcohol or drugs anymore. So I had to really like look at myself and see like, okay, this is, this was more than my addiction. Like my addiction just fueled, fueled that. And, um, I have that at that point I was like, I'm done learning the hard way. Like I I've been learning the hard way and like I was the bounce back queen. So like it almost was like a challenge for me. I was like, Oh, I did just drive my life into the ground, but look how fast I can rebuild it, you know? So it didn't, it didn't matter for some time. And then I was finally like, you know what? I don't want to learn the hard way anymore. Like teach me through love, through joy, through happiness and through other experiences. And since then, I won't say that it's been like bunnies and rainbows, but like I've been able to learn in spaces where even if things hurt quite a bit, like I have people who love me and who can help me through it. And um, connecting with community has been has been super important. And um, I didn't have a lot of sober community until recently. I've just really started to get more into that because like I said it was mostly like I gotta find a place for us to stay and make sure that I'm right. working and it's really the I won't say easy to to be sober when you're doing that but it's like it's easier to focus on this big thing um, and recently now that I've been in this spot for a little while and and comfortable I'm starting to uncover other things and that's where the sobriety podcasts and everything have come in and i just really was able to look back and be like this is why this was like this and it's also nice to hear other people's stories in sobriety because i was i feel like i was starting to other myself because a lot of my friends are not in sobriety Mm. um and i just didn't have anybody to ask questions to or be like is it normal to feel like this and so like now I'm really, really excited to like really dive deeper into that and to start opening myself up to to doing more in the recovery space. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Talk to me about what your community looks like today. I know we we, we touched on it a little bit before we started uh, recording. And also, you, you I mean, you made a pretty um, a pretty clear declaration that you were going to be stepping into your recovery from what I saw. And uh, so when you walk me a little bit behind, you know, the motivation, motivation for that. And, and I feel like that's kind of what's brought into you to where you are right now. So those are some pretty monumental shifts as far as your healing process is concerned, right? Yeah. So now um, I've been doing hula hoop dancing for almost 10 years now, and that has been a huge help in my recovery. Um, I've always been a dancer since I was younger. Um, dancing has been like my number one outlet. 
I love moving my body. So like now I've met quite a few people in the hula hoop scene who have also um, gone into sobriety. And that's okay. where my sobriety community really started um, was connecting with other hula hoopers that have also like found their way um, through sobriety. And so I teach hoop classes and I do um, hoop workshops now. And um, I started my podcast, Elevated Arts and Healing, the podcast to give myself a space to speak more about um, my sobriety and really my recovery from all of the things like from the trauma of my abuse and from um, I had an eating disorder before and like just all of the things I think really I, I want to make a space where people have um, feel comfortable in recovery, especially those of us who um, have struggled and are neurodivergent and mm. maybe have like strayed down the path of addiction too because they were self-medicating because that was how I um, justified it for so long is this was my medicine and this is mm-hmm. what I needed to feel normal and to feel like I fit in and Um, So I want to show other people that it's possible to come out of that and that there are other coping mechanisms and that a lot of the time it's like not just because we can't do it or we care about this substance more than, you know, living a fruitful life. A lot of us just don't know that there's another path. A lot of us just haven't seen another way. I know I didn't for a long time until I really stepped into it. So mm-hmm. that's really what I want to to give is a light to other people who may be in the darkness yeah i uh i again i i just i i love all the things that you're doing for yourself first and foremost and you know because it's it's really hard to like look in the mirror and have an honest conversation with yourself a a consistently honest conversation with yourself i think this that recovery sobriety provides that opportunity but you got to lean into it to your to your point and then you know the next step of that is when you're turning it back out and creating spaces where other folks can, you know, can can offer themselves that gift as well of of, of proper reflection and 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 you providing an example of even though it's very challenging to get to that space. If I could do it with all of the things that I've had to deal with in my life, you absolutely can do it too. I think that that's that's fantastic, and you know. And, and, and for that alone, like, I'm glad that we had an opportunity to just like, you know, chop it up. And I'm so happy that y- you reached out in the first place and that you, uh, you're on the Stack of Days podcast to, to share, to share your story. Um, I wanted to ask you, and we talked a little bit about this as well before, uh, before we, um, we got on kind of like the last two questions that I like to ask my guests in closing out the episodes I know you're familiar with them, so I'll ask you the, the easy one first. Um, you know, what would you tell that person who's sitting there listening to this right now, you know, in a dark space, maybe has just come to a place where they recognize that, you know, alcohol is kind of the t- common denominator against a lot of the issues that they're trying to get in front of right now, but they don't necessarily know what the first step could look like. So someone who didn't subscribe to a formal program like yourself, what would you, what would you tell that person? Um, first I would say like, if you feel like you're struggling, reach out. Um, a lot of the times our brains lie to us and we feel like we don't have anybody. We're going to be a burden if we reach out. And a lot of the times it's just because we haven't reached out that people haven't offered that to us. But I would say if you feel safe enough and you have somebody safe enough close to you, I would say reach out. And if maybe you don't have, um, 
like a safe space. I, I know when I started this journey, I really was in a space where it wasn't safe for me to speak up. I had to just kind of like fall in line. Mm-hmm. Um, social media was a really good place for me to start. I started looking for different groups and you could even start like in a hobby group that you're in because that was really for me where I found sobriety was hula hoop group. So find something that interests you um, and maybe see if anybody else has gone through that, but definitely um, reach out. And if you can, I would say like, start with therapy. Um, You know, when you're ready, you'll be able to to cross that line and you just got to give yourself some grace because you might not be ready now, but keep taking those steps because eventually, eventually you'll be ready. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Uh, and, and totally agree with everything you just said. Last question I have, and maybe this is, and again, there's no perfect answer, right? In the, in the darkest days, and maybe actually this is not the last question, but maybe the second to last question. Okay. In, in your, your darkest days when you were really, really struggling, how would someone from the outside have known that you were struggling without you telling them explicitly? Um, honestly. I feel like I isolated quite a bit. Um, and if you start, if I start saying like, I'm fine, I'm fine all the time. And like, clearly I don't really look fine. I feel like that that's a, a tell. And also if I just don't talk as much, cause sometimes I'll still hang out to save face, but I'll be a lot more quiet and my energy, it would be a little off. So I think that would be kind of a place to start. I, I feel like, um, I've just gotten to a point where I try not to expect other people to know how I feel because I was really angry for a long time in that dark space because like, couldn't anybody tell I was struggling, but like I was putting up a really good front, a really Mm -hmm. good front. So I think really just like my energy being off and I don't know, maybe if I like tried too hard to look like I was happy because I feel like I did that too. So I would say maybe those would be some telltale signs for me. Yeah. Just hearing your story and recognizing that you were very much in a, a place of both um, intentional isolation you know, as an individual, and then geographically, you were moving around to kind of ensure that you were continuously kind of changing the scenery on yourself to make it a little bit more difficult to get to what you knew, I think, ultimately, wasn't working for you. What did you need for yourself at that point in time, um, to acknowledge that you were struggling and needed to change? Do you think in retrospect? Um, I needed to just be honest and I was really scared to do that um, because I felt like if I felt the weight of the pain that I was feeling after I lost my grandma, like she was, she meant a lot to me. And like, I spent a good portion of my life. I believe we lived together for almost like 10 years, you know, off and on. And she was, like I said, the only person in my family that I felt like, you know, no matter what she would make sure that I'm, I was okay. Like, even if she didn't agree with who I was or, you know, we argued a lot, she wouldn't let me be unsafe. And that, um, I felt like I had no safety net and I just, I needed to know that I had people and I didn't reach out to my people, but I, I, I needed 
safety and stability and I needed to start speaking up for myself and I needed to start standing up for myself because I was letting people walk all over me and I hadn't realized it because I was masking so much of the pain with drugs and alcohol that I wasn't seeing that I was continuously creating that same situation over and over. Makes total sense. Um, Amy, where can folks find you? if they want to learn more about your experience and your journey and also um, hooping as, as, as you call it. Uh, I was on your website and I was like, man, what would it look like to take a, a, a hula hoop uh, flow workshop? But tell us where can, where can folks find you? It's definitely a lot of fun. Um, amyelevated.com, amielevated.com. And I'm also on Instagram um, at elevated underscore a and H for Elevated Arts and Healing. Um, you can also find me on Facebook, um, Elevated Arts and Healing. And if you're into podcasts, I am on Spotify right now um, with Elevated Arts and Healing, the podcast. And uh, you can reach out. Like Instagram is definitely like my main jam, but um, through my website. And I also see like Facebook messages and stuff as well. So that is where if you're looking for more stuff, you can find me. Cool, cool. Well, I'll be make sure that we throw all of that into the show notes so it's captured in one place for the audience to go to so they don't have to feel like they have to continuously rewind the episode. Um, Amy, thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for your honesty and your vulnerability and sharing your story. I'm, uh, I'm sure it's going to help somebody out there who's listening. So I uh, really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. I'm really appreciative that you have given me the space to open up. I had a, you know, a tap was like, Hey, you need to, you need to reach out and do something. And here we are. And I'm grateful. Thank you so much, Ray. You're, you're welcome. I love the fact that you listen to that little voice. It seems like that's part of your toolkit and that's uh, it seems like it's not steering you wrong these days. So good for you. Yep. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, uh, that's it for the, for this week's show. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks. I appreciate you guys listening to the Stacking Days podcast. I hope this episode added value to your recovery and wellness journey. Before we go our separate ways, let's connect on social. You can find us on TikTok and Instagram at Stacking Days or via the website www.stackingdays.com. By supporting the show, you can play a direct role in amplifying people of color in their pursuit of recovery. The easiest way to do that is to subscribe or hit the follow button. This way you'll never miss an episode all while playing an active part in creating the ecosystem where diverse voices and healing matter. This show is for the purpose of education and connection and is not a replacement for therapy or recovery care. For more information on the resources and support available, take a look at SAMHSA and some other resources shared in the description. Until we meet again, be well one day at a time.